Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 20. I'm Alexander. And I'm Jeanette, and we are a podcast about writing and story. And just as a little heads up, Jeanette is feeling a little hoarse today. Not like a pony, but like a person. <laughs> but I could be a pony. And but but then I wouldn't be a horse. No. She's getting over a cold, so that's why she might sound a little funny today. And a little frog in my throat. <laughs> Today, we are speaking with Mignon Fogarty from the Grammar Girl podcast. And uh, if you stay to the end of our show, you'll find out how you can win a Grammar Daily Calendar courtesy of Mignon. Welcome, Mignon Fogarty, to the Ninth Story podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your show. So excited to have you on. Um, and just so everyone knows, Mignon is the creator of the Grammar Girl podcast. She's the founder and managing director of Quick and Dirty Tips, which is a podcast network as well as an amazing website. So now that everyone heard like the four second spiel of what you are, Mignon, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and just a little bit more about you? Oh, sure. You bet. So let's see. So I always loved writing. I grew up in Seattle where it rains a lot. And so uh, my mom would take me to the library to keep me entertained when I was growing up. So I, you know, just loved books from in libraries from a very early age. And, um, then, you know, I went to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And because I loved reading and writing so much, I got a degree in English. And then when I graduated, I had absolutely no idea <laughs> what to do with that degree. I didn't know how to get a job. I just, I, you know, like, get, like graduating from college had been such a big goal that I hadn't given much thought to what to do afterwards. So I was a little bit lost when I graduated from college and I was really fortunate and my friend's father hired me to work at his insurance brokerage. So, you know, I didn't have to live at home with my parents. I got a, nice. a grown up job, but you know, it wasn't what I really wanted to do forever. And so, um, I was, and, and I had this friend who was not that excited about writing, but he had an area of expertise. He was in politics and he was writing like op-eds for newspapers and, and things like that. And I looked at him I'm like, I'm the writer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is going on here? And so I decided I needed to have something to write about. And so I got interested in science. I had taken, you know, one required science class in college just to, you know, get that credit. Mm -hmm. But after I graduated, I discovered that science was fascinating. So I actually went back to school and started taking more undergraduate science classes and ended up going, um, getting into a PhD program at Stanford, um, wow. pursuing a a PhD in biology, which, you know, was just this completely crazy departure from, from where I started. And I, and I enjoyed it and I learned so much and it was an amazing opportunity. But after four years, I realized I was actually pretty bored and not, um, I don't know, I just, I'm not well suited for science. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, te it's really tedious. You know, after the first two years, you take all the classes and it's really interesting. And then you're like pipetting milliliters of liquids into a thousand tubes for four <laughs> hours. And, you know, you know, the research itself, it can t take a really long time. It's hard work and it's very tedious. And, and I just wasn't very well suited for it. And so, 
But well, um, so this was during the dot com boom. Also, mm-hmm. and my my undergrad my undergraduate college roommate ha- was in the business school at Stanford, and she dropped out to start a company, and I dropped out to be her first employee. Nice. And so that was that was really an amazing time. And um, I ended up after that, I ended up working for a series of internet companies like content websites, and being you know the head of um, content development at, at all these internet sites, which was again, like super amazing opportunity. And then they all went out of business. Oh. <laughs> like, well, so, you know, I was, I was, I was at, I think three or four internet companies that went out of business one after the other. Oh. And, um, so, I, so, so then I ended up working as a freelance writer and editor, which it was kind of fortuitous because all the people who had been at these companies that went out of business, they went and got real jobs at <laughs> biotech companies and, and things like that. And then they immediately hired me to write for them. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so I had an almost instant installed client base when I started my, my freelance work. And so. I did that for a few years, but as you might have gathered from my story so far, like I love technology. Mm-hmm. And so when this new thing called podcasting came around, I wanted to try it. So um, I started a science podcast. Oh gosh, it was probably 12 years ago now. And I did that for about eight months and realized that it was taking too much time and mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, it just wasn't, it, it was fine, but it wasn't I needed to stop doing it, <laughs> but, but I had come to love podcasting. And so I wanted to do a simpler, easier podcast. And that was when I came up with the idea of grammar girl, because I, I saw my editing clients mm-hmm. making the same mistakes over and over again in their writing. And also, you know, when I was writing, I was constantly having to look things up in style guides in the AP style book or the Chicago manual of style. And I just could not remember all the rules. And so I started making up all these little memory tricks for myself. And I thought, well, that would make a fun little podcast, like a quick and dirty tip every week, maybe a five minute writing tip. And because I was already doing the science podcast, it was really easy for me to just start grammar girl. You know, I got the idea and within a week I had three shows up and, um, much, much to my surprise, it just completely took off. It was number two at iTunes within six weeks. Wow. So yeah, it was just unbelievable. Um, so so, and I kept thinking, well, this can't last, but it did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's sort of how, you know, my, my abbreviated life story and how, how Grammar Girl got started. It was kind of, you know, I was trying, it was funny because I was trying to simplify my life and, you know, not spend so much time podcasting because mm-hmm. as a freelancer, you know, time is money and I wasn't making any money on the science podcast. And suddenly I found myself with a full-time job podcasting. <laughs> so. <laughs> it wasn't planned, but because I spent so much time at startups, when it did take off, I really knew I was onto something that mm-hmm. this could be a business. And so that was when I found, you know, very soon after the, you know, the podcast started doing so well, I founded the Quick and Dirty Tips Network to help it grow and become a business. And so, Mignon, you decided to go into science from being a writer because of the fact that somebody else was already doing that. And you're like, well, I want to stick out. I want to do something different. Or did you actually have a predilection towards science? And that's why you chose to get into that originally. Well, 
it's funny. It's not a very like feminist story, but I met my husband who was a scientist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I thought what he was doing was super interesting. And I had, you know, like I said, I'd never taken any real science in college Mm -hmm. and he was, he was working at a biotech company in Seattle and, you know, I would go meet him for dates and I'd have to wait for him while he was finishing up some experiment in the lab. And so I'd be like, okay, well, explain to me what you're doing. And, you know, he was doing DNA sequencing and it was fascinating and nothing like any of the classes I had ever taken. And mm-hmm. so at the, at the same time, I was thinking, well, I need, I can't just be a writer. I need to write about something mm-hmm. like my friend who, like my friend who was in politics. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll do this science thing. This is fascinating. And then when I went, so I, I, I originally kind of, I think I meant to write about science, but then when I went back to school, I got so into it that I thought like I was going to do that for the rest of my life and be a researcher and have a lab and, and all the things that PhD biologists do. But then, you know, a few years into it, I was like, mm, this really isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to the, the science writing eventually. Nice. I, I think that's so fascinating because it is, it isn't something that people tend to combine together is, but it's it's writing and English and and then also science. And a lot of times scientists, this is totally not every scientist, but the stereotype is they're not as great at communicating, whereas English majors are amazing communicators because that's what they focus on. Um, so it's just interesting that you went in and blended those together, even though it brought you down a totally different path. So thank you for sharing that because yeah. it's just fascinating the journey that you've been on. Yeah, and it was an amazing gig because you're right. There are very, very few people who can understand the complexities of the science and are good writers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I had lots of work. And, um, you know, even after I stopped, you know, as long as seven years later, some of my old clients were still contacting me like, do you have any time to like do one white paper? <laughs> you know, and then, I haven't done that for a really long time. But But if you can combine those, it is, you will always have work. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Have you always been fascinated with learning and teaching? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so um, I, I grew up as an only child and mm-hmm. I remember when I was a little girl playing in my yard, in my backyard, and I would pretend that I was teaching imaginary friends how to do things, like Aww. how to build a sandcastle, <laughs> you know, how to build a sandcastle or how to like play on the monkey bars. Like I, I've just, I've, I mean, I've always been fascinated by learning new things and I've always just also loved sharing that information with other people. I think that comes across a lot in Grammar Girl is you just sound so excited about the things that you're talking about. And I often find myself after listening to one of your episodes going to someone, anyone, random people that I haven't met yet and going, oh, did you know that the word chocolate came from the Aztecs? And then blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I know. That's what I love about it, too. Like almost every week I'm super excited because I've learned something new, too. And I kind of joke that sometimes that I started the podcast because I would be learning all these fascinating things and I had to tell someone besides my husband. <laughs> you know, like, he would get tired of hearing about, did you know that the Chicago Manual of Style like, <laughs> you know, has this rule that's different from AP? It's <laughs> like looking at me like, who cares? <laughs> I get that sometimes with my wife when I do, uh, when I talk about anything drone. It's true. She'll sit there and she'll let me drone on about drones. <laughs> For a while, and then eventually, like, okay, Alex, you can shut up now. <laughs> right. When I see the when I see just... the when I see the eyes glazing over, I know I know it's time to stop. It's okay. Right. But there I are so many fast. 
so many fascinating things about language and it's, you know, I mean, it's fun to know that people are listening who are also excited about it and, and will go tell a friend the neat thing that I just told them. I mean, that, that's really fun and rewarding. So an, another thing that I'm very curious about is your episodes are so well researched and I know you have some people who are submitting um, suggestions and articles and stuff, but I'm very curious about what goes into creating each episode. Yeah, it's a lot. And I think because of my background in research and science, it's super important to me that the show is accurate and well-researched because also because there are so many myths out there mm-hmm. about language. You know, so often what people think they know is goes back to, well, my second grade teacher told me this, you know, and it's, it's a a simplified version of the rule or, you know, a common one is like young children are taught not to start a sentence with because, Mm -hmm. um, but you could start a sentence with because it's, it's perfectly grammatical, but often teachers will tell kids not to do it because usually if you do it wrong, it leads to a sentence fragment. And, you know, so people are taught these overly simplistic rules or, or things that even often just aren't right. And so, um, it's really important to me to research every point. So, you know, I started out with probably two or three style guides and now I just have hundreds of books on language and, you know, some of them, I, I mean, I always, you know, you've already heard me mention them. I always check the Chicago Manual of Style and the AP Style book, but I also rely heavily on Garner's Modern American Usage, which is a like 900 page usage guide, really complete. And Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage, mm-hmm. which gives the the history of language rules. So that's always fascinating. So, you know, you can trace it back to where, where the rule started and if it had a sort of valid logic behind it or if it was just something that someone made up Mm -hmm. and um you know um and then depending on what the the topic is I have different books that I'll look at you know I have books about idioms and and things like that that I'll check but but yeah I always I always try to have sources I I mean I would never just make something up myself and (laughs) if I did you know it's funny because my editors will tell me like Mignon people want to know what you think and I'm like, why would they want to know what I think? Like, you know, <laughs> there are like actual reference books, but, um, you know, I've come to accept that, okay, maybe I'm an authority and, um, <laughs> you know, but if I give an opinion, I always make it really clear that it's my opinion mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that this is a hard and fast rule. I think uh, your episode about caramel was a great example of that. (laughs) (laughs) I got one. So I got one angry email from someone who said they were unsubscribing from my email newsletter. So here's some background. So I pronounce, I pronounce the word caramel, which is how it's typically pronounced on the West coast. If Mm -hmm. you look at language dialect maps and, um, but people on the East coast absolutely believe it should be caramel Mm -hmm. three syllables or caramel. Those, those are different regions where I don't live. Let's say it that way. (laughs) And, um, and, and it's true. Garner's modern American usage says that caramel, the three syllable versions are better than the two syllable version, but he doesn't say why. Mm -hmm. And so I feel really defensive about it because this is how I grew up saying it. And Mm -hmm. and I don't see why one is right and one is wrong. And so, you know, I went through all the history in the podcast, but then I said something along the lines of like, but I'm still going to say it the way I say it. (laughs) And and, and one person got really mad and unsubscribed, but I think in general, (laughs) in general, people understood and thought it was okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, there, a lot of times there's even a completely different word for the same thing, and especially with food products and stuff like that, with like shots, dimmy, jimmies, sprinkles, hoagies, grinders, subs. Right. Like, there's a lot of different words for the same thing. So if you're saying a word a little bit differently and you're meaning the same thing, it's kind of the same thing yeah. as having a completely different word. It's just a different way of saying it. Right. Yeah. And uh, one thing, you know, guaranteed hands down, people love to hear about those regionalisms. Mm -hmm. They love to, you know, um, yeah, the hoagie versus sub people, those people always love those shows. Oh, yeah. But I, uh, the the regional idioms are something that uh, I grew up moving around a lot as a kid. And it threw me for a loop when I came to Connecticut and they were having grinders for lunch. I'm like, what the heck is a grinder? That sounds awful. <laughs> like, <it> just <laughs> it took me weeks Did to I... figure out it was sub sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> and an I think another one in that region maybe is frap for mm -hmm. for a milkshake is called a frap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a, that's more like for like a frappuccino. But yeah. But yeah, it, it's leaked into the uh, the local just... I don't know yeah. dialect. I guess. <laughs> yeah, That's I would love fun. to travel the. I would love to travel the country someday, just experiencing all the different local dialects. I think that would be a great trip. Oh, that'd be amazing. I mean, we yeah. actually we actually pick up on a lot of. We both kind of do this, where we pick up on a lot of different affects to uh, a, a regional language. Like when we were in Italy, mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm like first generation here, so when you go to Italy, like different towns have different dialects. And like if you go to like Torino, Italy, it's like Italian with a New York accent. It's got like a little, you know, it's, it's just interesting, you know, it's not like it's and I just end up picking that up and I find that really fascinating. Which drives his mom nuts <laughs> because he'll be speaking proper Italian and then switch into dialects from different like, parts like around Montese. the country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is just so that fun. Would... That would be like if you grew up in Seattle and you had a child and suddenly they started speaking with a, a southern accent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, like I have cousins in Canada and only one of my cousins actually has a Canadian affect. Everybody else, because there mm. there's actually uh, regions in Canada where it's a bunch of different immigrants from a specific country. So they're in the Italian region in Canada. And, um, wow. And mm -hmm. so most of the people there just have an Italian accent, and she's the only person in the household that has a Canadian accent and says A. <laughs> it's so fascinating it and really fun. <laughs> so now that we've heard a little bit more about Grammar Girl, the initial podcast that started it, I'm very, very curious, how did Quick and Dirty Tips start to grow as a network? Right. Well, you know, like I said, right, right away, I started the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network. And I and the second show was called um, Modern Manners Guy. Mm -hmm. And it actually it was my, my co-host from the science podcast um, started doing a manners podcast. And then I added then we had Legal Lad and the Mighty Mommy and Money Girl. And they were just all my friends. <laughs> so <Nice. laughs> who, were, who were who were good at something. So, you know, the Mighty Mommy was my friend who I thought was a great mom. And Money Girl was my neighbor who, you know, was investing and really good with money. And Legal Lad was a lawyer friend. And, um, you know, I just said I, I thought it was the format. So the, the show is for people who haven't listened. It's a it's a scripted show and it's relatively short. So especially back then, 11 years ago, all the podcasts were really long. They were about mm -hmm. an hour and, you know, and it was people chatting. And so this was a really different format. And I thought, I thought that maybe the quick and dirty scripted format 
you know, with one very specific tip every week was what made it successful. And so you know, I'm like, you could do that with a lot of different topics. So I, I gathered these people and we cross promoted each other's shows a lot and we were a network and I, I edited all their scripts. And I think I even handled audio production in the beginning wow. and I built the website. I built the website and, um, you know, just made it a network and, um, it, and all the, those shows all did really well, really quickly too. So, um, it was, you know, going great. And I was just drowning in work because I was still <laughs> doing all the freelance writing and there wasn't really a great business model up around podcasting. Then there was some advertising, but nothing like there is today. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was looking for a partner cause I knew I, I couldn't grow it anymore myself. And so, um, I ended up partnering with Macmillan publishing. I was real. I was so lucky. So, um, the wall street journal chose grammar girl as their web pick of the day wow. or their web pick of the week. So it was in the wall street journal. And the next week I got calls from five New York publishers who wanted me to write a book. Wow. And nice. it was, it was, in, yeah, it was just, it was just hard to even believe as it was happening. And, um, but Macmillan in particular had a digital initiative at the time. They knew they wanted to grow the digital side of their business. And I had this vision of all the quick and dirty tips could be. And so we just really, you know, quickly it became clear to both of us that this could be way more than just a book or two and that we could form a partnership to have a digital business. And so I partnered with them and I think that was in 2007. And then I still did lots and lo- I did lots of the day-to-day production until about 2009 when things just got so big. We had, I don't know, about 10 or 10 shows maybe. And I was managing all the hosts and it, it was just too much. And Grammar Girl was still growing. So it became clear that either I could run the business or I could be Grammar Girl. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that it made more sense for me to be Grammar Girl and for them to run the business. And so around 2009, they took over all of the day-to-day operations and and I focused primarily on Grammar Girl. I mean, I'm still involved in the high-level business decisions and I'm still a partner, but I'm primarily work on Grammar Girl, and they they primarily they manage the entire rest of the business. And, and now that you've done this for a while, uh, what is your current process for preparing for each podcast episode? Right. Well, I come up with the topic idea, and sometimes it's based on a question from a listener. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a news item. You know, I I. Um, you know, people kept writing about Donald Trump Jr. And so I had, uh, I did a show about how to um, punctuate around the the junior with the period Mm because news organizations were doing it different ways. And the New Yorker did it in a super weird way in a headline. And so like, we had to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so some things are news focused like that. And then um, sometimes my guest writers will pitch an idea. Um, It's been really helpful and important for me to have guest writers for the last, I don't know, five or six years. In the beginning, I did it all myself, but you know, I'm on episode 600. So, you know, in addition to just needing help week to week, you know, I need people who have new ideas. (laughs) So, you know, the guest writers often bring interesting ideas that I wouldn't have thought of for, for topics. So, um, so, so that's how I get ideas. And then usually there are at least two segments to a show now. So there's usually at least one short and one long segment And so, you know, we figure out which topic can be long and which topic can be short. And then, you know, either I'll research and write it or if one of my guest writers um, 
does it, then I'll do all the editing and maybe we'll go back and forth once or twice to deal with little, little things that I think, you know, could be better or different or expanded. And, and then, you know, so, so then I've got the script, I record the show. Um, there's just tons of post edit, post recording production because we have um, an ad free app that gets a version of the script. And we uh, recently, um, formed a, a new partnership with Macmillan Learning. That's their educational product. Mm-hmm. And so an, an ad-free version of the podcast and a complete transcript goes out in their digital product that's in schools. Wow. And so I, I have to get together a lot of specialized um, scripts and stuff to send to them to upload into their system. So that's like a whole extra workflow. you know. And then we put it on the website and promote it all on social media and there's a lot of now with social media there's a lot of making images because you know if you want to promote something on social media it has to have a cool image to go with it so I spend more time making images than I ever thought I would (laughs) and um, now even little videos so you know Facebook at least until recently has been prioritizing video in their algorithm so sometimes um, when I'm feeling extra ambitious I'll make a little 30 second you know, promo video for a podcast episode and we'll put it up on Facebook and Twitter to, to promote that episode. So it was, it's, I was thinking about it the other day. It's just amazing. Like how much work goes on after you record the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's not just about the audio file anymore. There's so much around it. And that's something I really admire about what you've done with this podcast is it's not just, I mean, you've made an amazing podcast, but you do have this knowledge and this uh, drive to make sure it gets out there. Your advertising is just so on point. (laughs) I've learned so much just by watching what you do. Um, So that, I don't know, you're just, you're rocking it. Where did you learn some of these things? Are you just always kind of immersed in what's new with like the Facebook algorithm and things like that? It is. I, I've always just loved learning new things and especially technology related new things. And yeah, I just sort of, I feel like, you know, like when I dropped out of grad school to join my friend who had the startup, my position was um, head of marketing at that company. And, and I don't have any training, but I've always just sort of had a knack for marketing, I guess, and then combine that with the love of learning new things. And, you know, for, for example, in the beginning, when I first launched um, the network, which, you know, the website, the transcripts were always up on the web. And I had just always been interested in search engine optimization, which is like a weird hop, a really <laughs> weird hobby. <laughs> but I always thought it was fascinating. And so I knew um, a lot about search engine optimization when I built the first website just because I enjoy that kind of thing. And so that really helped in the beginning, you know, you know, get attention to the, not the podcast, but the brand through the website. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just love keeping up with it all. <laughs> and I know it's kind of a weird hobby, um, but then, and then for the last, um, so until six months ago, I ha- also was a professor at the university of Nevada in Reno. Um, I had this amazing opportunity, like almost four years ago now, they, like I didn't even know I could be a professor. You know, I dropped out of a PhD program in science and 
essentially to be a professor in science, you need a PhD. So I mm -hmm. gave up on the idea that I could ever be a professor. But um, it turns out in journalism, which um, was the department I was in, a master's is enough. And so I happened to meet some people in the journalism department. And they're like, we have an open position that would be perfect for you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just randomly wasn't even looking for a job. And I essentially got offered this dream job as the chair of media entrepreneurship. Wow. Um, which, yeah, which I did for three years. And it was great. God, it was, it was so great. Um, and most of what I taught was social media. So I was teaching undergraduate and graduate level social media, which gave me a great reason to stay on top of all the changes. Um, but in the end, as much as I loved that job too, I was just too busy. I couldn't do both. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I get, ended up giving up the, the professorship last year, but uh, which was the right thing to do, even though I miss everyone. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah, I just couldn't do both. It was unrealistic. I think it's such an interesting idea that social media is now such a technical thing that it can be taught in, in a university. And because of the fact that we don't really think about social media as something technical from a general, you know, layman's you know, standpoint, that anybody can just go in and on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. But understanding the technical aspects of it is a way to utilize that as a business is such a, you know, really intricate thing that, yeah, that you would need to have a course in order to mm -hmm. learn that better. Yeah, it's actually a really hard thing to teach, too, because you have students coming in. I had students coming in who had never been on Twitter before oh, and wow. students coming in who had, you know, 50,000 followers and had been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. So the the level it was it was very hard to develop a course that would, you know, teach without teach students without boring the advanced ones and yeah, it was tough. <laughs> and then, you know, and the other thing is it changes all the time so fast that really you need to understand the concepts and then just know where you can get the most current information. Because mm -hmm. if I teach you how to use Facebook now, it's almost all going to be worthless a year from now. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's so, constantly yeah. changing. Yeah. So teaching the concepts, you know, I found was more, probably more valuable in the long run than teaching okay and this is the size your image should be and how you make a post or yeah stuff like that. <laughs> it, it is it's so much to learn I'm I'm a lot like you where I will just read constantly and listen to so many podcasts that help me keep up with it all it's <laughs> like oh what's new yeah. on Facebook oh that's cool um because <laughs> <laughs> right? it, it changes so much mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, and then I love, I actually love playing with it. So, you know, if I hear something is new, I'll try it and then see, you know, I love that you can see your, the insights that you can see the reach and the clicks. And, and so, you know, I love trying new things and then seeing how they work and what works better than something else. And if I tweak this, will it work better? It's, it goes back to the same, you know, how, how I enjoyed doing search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. It's all just tr trying things and seeing what happens and then <laughs> iterate. So it's, for me, that's really fun. <laughs> I can see that scientist in you with that, too, because it is about trial and error and conducting experiments. You're just not using a pipette anymore. <laughs> right. And there are experiments you can do in, a, in an afternoon instead of six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little more uh, gratifying, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite uh, websites or publications to learn grammar from? Yeah. Let's see. So... 
I think if I had to choose one book, just one, it would be Garner's Modern English Usage because it is so complete. Um, you know, you will almost always find the answer to your question there. So if you want like one solid reference book, that's the one. That's the one I take on a desert island with me. Nice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then I guess, you know, if I'm if I'm searching online and I want a site that isn't mine, <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I, I like um, Purdue's online writing lab website. Mm -hmm. Um, they, that has really good advice too. And it's, it's relatively complete. It'll often have the answer you're looking for. And if it does, it'll be clear. So, um, those are probably two of my favorite resources. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, we're going to mention that in the show notes in case people want to find that as well. Um, so something that you do incredibly well, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that you take making learning grammar, which is not something that a lot of people go, oh, I want to learn where this comma goes, but you make it fun. <laughs> so, I try. <laughs> yeah, you, you succeed for sure. Um, what have been some of your favorite ways to make learning this subject more approachable? Yeah. Well, a lot of it goes back to, um, you know, my little brother was struggling in school, like just getting terrible grades. And we were sitting around the kitchen table one night and he was going on and on and on about Pokemon and all these characters and what they do. And we were all like bored out of our minds. (laughs) But then we realized, and it just dawned on me, like a light bulb went on over my head that this kid isn't dumb. He's just not interested in Mm -hmm. school. And so ever since then, I've thought about how can we make learning more fun? And, you know, in the beginning, there, I think there are two ways I try to make it fun. So one is to come up with memory tricks, you know, mnemonics or, or associations you can use in your mind to remember different rules. Um, you know, so a good one is um, historic versus historical. So historical is a, the broader the broader word. And so I think of like the AL at the end stands for all. So, you know, like all things old or historical or, you know, so, mm-hmm. and, and that's not that, that's not necessarily fun, but it, it makes people, I think it gives people a sense of accomplishment or a sense that they've learned something really useful that they can hold on to and that will help them like forever if they yeah. can remember it, if they can, <laughs> if they can remember the tip. So I think that people like that, but then also I created these characters called Squiggly and Aardvark Mm -hmm. and I try to use them in example sentences in the show. So Squiggly is a yellow snail and he's modeled on the UC Santa Cruz mascot. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent some time at UC Santa Cruz and they're, mascot is the banana slug. <laughs> so <laughs> Squiggly is inspired by the banana slug from UC Santa Cruz. And then Aardvark is just a grumpy blue Aardvark um, who likes to fish. Squiggly likes chocolate. They're, in my mind, they're sort of the odd couple mm-hmm. or Bert and Ernie. Um, you know, they're opposites. They bicker. Um, and so they go on adventures together. And that's what happens in the example sentences in the podcast often. I mean, I don't always use them, but I try to. And, um, you know, I think people um, have become fond of Squiggly and Aardvark. Mm-hmm. And I try to make them, them do funny things and have funny adventures. And so I think, I think that also helps. So those are the primary ways I try to make it fun. But then as you said, like 
I feel like I'm often just so excited about the new thing that I've learned that I'm sharing with you that I do. People, people all often say that my enthusiasm comes through in the podcast and just makes it generally more interesting because I'm so excited to tell you, <laughs> you know, that, that the saxophone comes from a, a guy named saxophone who just, you know, displayed his instrument at the first world's fair, you know, it's, it's, um, in London. And, you know, I just get so excited about learning those things that, that I think, it's a little, it's infectious. My enthusiasm, I hope is, is infectious. I, I have the biggest smile on my face right now because yes, <laughs> it's very infectious. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so Mignon, um, if someone were wanting to dramatically improve their writing fundamentals, what would you recommend for them to start with? Hmm. That's such a tough question because, you know, when I started Grammar Girl, I feel like the quality of my writing actually went down in the beginning because I was so nervous about getting everything right. I was so focused on the rules that my writing became much simpler and mm. in and then not as engaging and good. So yeah, I think that if you want to improve the mechanics, you can study the rules. Um, but I wouldn't. I, I just would would not get too hung up on it. I would maybe pick like one rule every couple weeks and try to, you know, pay attention to that in my writing. So, you know, I might think I'm not super clear on how to use semicolons. So I'm going to look that up. Right. And then I would just be more aware of that in my writing for the next, you know, two or three weeks maybe. And then when I feel like I've got that and it's not stressing me out anymore and I do it pretty naturally, then I'd pick another rule and say, okay, so where do periods go at the end of quotations? Do they go inside or outside the closing quotation mark? And I would look it up and then I would make sure to pay attention to that in my writing for a few weeks. Um, I think the other thing is just reading really good writing, mm -hmm. you know, reading books, um, you know, if you want to focus on your writing, probably nonfiction books, because fiction, you know, you can break the rules of grammar a lot for effect mm -hmm. in fiction. You know, you want people to sound like they actually talk, not how, you know, a sentence is necessarily grammatically correct. So, um, you know, reading good fiction can also improve your writing. But if you want to focus on the mechanics, probably reading, um, you know, edited nonfiction books or, you know, really high quality magazine articles would probably be a way to also try to absorb, you know, really good writing. I think that's some incredibly great advice. And uh, when you were saying that fiction often breaks the rules, I was just popped into my head is there is a, I just finished reading the entire Darren Shan saga of Dar Darren Shan. So it's fresh in my memory. Um, uh -huh. But there's a part where the character who is narrating the book talks to an English teacher and she's correcting his grammar as he's talking. He's just like, but I write in my journal all the time and I always say so-and-so and me. I never say so-and-so and I, so that's, I don't know if I'll ever fix that. <laughs> it's just <laughs> in the book all over the place. He says, blah, 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 and me, just, and me, <laughs> never, never correct. <laughs> it, it just, and, and that, and that's how a lot of people talk. So mm -hmm. if you want to like peg, peg your character as someone who, you know, isn't always precise and pers persnickety, like that would be that would be a natural sounding way to have uh, certain characters speak. So it makes sense in fiction. It does. <laughs> so yeah. you've already touched on what happens after you create a podcast episode. You have your transcripts, but you start with a script, right? Right. Yes. Because okay. you know, because people people expect it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and nobody speaks perfectly off the cuff. So, um, you know, to it just in the beginning, I, I, I don't think you could do this show not scripted mm-hmm. because you're talking about language and how it should be. And if you're using incorrect language in the podcast, it's going to annoy people. It's going <laughs> to, you're just going to, you're way overwhelmed with email about how you said this wrong and you said that wrong <laughs> and everybody speaks wrong off the cuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it just really had to be scripted. And then the other quick and dirty tips shows, you know, they didn't necessarily need to be scripted in the same way because they weren't about language. Mm-hmm. But since that was already the format and how we were doing it, they, it just kind of happened that they were. And then because we had the scripts, we put them up on a web page, you know, and that then that really helped grow the business because now, you know, every every podcast is not only an audio podcast, but an article on the web page. So we have, you know, now... Oh, I think we have about 2000 articles yeah. on the quick internet. You know, it, I don't even know what the number is anymore. It's huge. It it's probably way more than that actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's a really, it's a really large website. And in the beginning, the website wasn't part of the business at all. Really. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of, we, we had scripts, so we put them up, but now the website is also a pretty big part of the business. So, you know, it's, it's been really good to have that. Plus then when people search for a topic, not only, you know, do they come to our site to read the article, but while they're there, they see that we have a podcast. So it's, it's also a great ad advertisement to let people know that the podcast exists. I think it's really smart the way you do that. And I'm also curious when you write the script, I know it's designed for the podcast, but are you also keeping in mind that the script is going to be for a blog post later? Yes. And that is really hard. (laughs) So one thing I find myself, I try to keep the script. Well, in the beginning, especially I, I believe that the script needed that, that the article on the website needed to be an exact script of what was said in the podcast, because I know that some people are using the podcast to learn English and they Mm -hmm. follow along on the webpage with the script. But now because we have, um, we have an app that has a script with it. Um, I don't, I feel like the web page can, and, and because the web has become its own independent business, really, I feel like the web page can deviate a tiny bit from mm-hmm. what exactly what is said in the podcast. And what I find I change most often is that I delete the adverbs. So when you, when you speak to sound natural, people tend to use a lot of adverbs. I'll say, it's really amazing. You know, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, you know, and those reallys and absolutely's do not need to be in the text. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they, it, looks, it looks immature in an article in print or on the web, but when you're speaking, it's very natural to use, see, I just did it again, very natural, right? It's, it's, uh, it just, it sounds much more authentic if you're using adverbs when you speak, but they, they really, um, they, they look, you know, unnecessary and fluffy (laughs) in, in an article. And and also in an an article, you lose a lot of context. Yeah. Yeah. So I find myself most, the the most common change I make is to delete adverbs. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to me when I realized I was doing it. <laughs> what what have been some of your biggest influences in helping the Grammar Girl podcast grow? You know, I just I tend to just watch what other people are doing and see what works. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
I often find there's a fiction writer named Scott Sigler who I find is really smart with promotion. Okay. And so I, I don't follow him like massively closely anymore. But if I see Scott's doing something that seems to be working, I'm like, that's pretty smart. Maybe I'll try that, you know, <laughs> if it makes sense, you know, for just like little things. For example, I noticed he was posting a, a YouTube, he had a YouTube version of his podcast and he was posting it to LinkedIn. And I was like, I didn't even know you could embed YouTube videos on LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, so I did that for, I did that for a while. Um, cause they embed nicely, but you know, it didn't seem to get a lot of traction for me, but, but, you know, but I'll try things like that, you know, so I just see what other people are doing and try it. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, I'll just move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess, yeah, I just I just like to try new promotional things like all the time, especially on social media. So I'll just tweak this, try that, give this a try. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing lost other than maybe a few hours. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not I'm not a big reader of business books mm-hmm. and or lis- or listening to business podcasts. You know the how tos. Um, it's just not. I haven't found anything inspires me mm-hmm. that way. You know, I, I taught, um, graduate level entre- media entrepreneurship one semester and had a really hard time finding a, any books I wanted to use. <laughs> I, I read, you know, three or four and, and I just didn't think any of them were very good. So I think you just have to learn by doing. I, I think there's a lot of that for sure. It's, you can only get so much guidance until you get your hands dirty. And then at that point you go, Oh, so that's how that works. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> exactly. So what projects do you have coming up in the future that you'd like uh, people who are listening to this podcast to keep an eye out for? Oh, gosh. Well, right now I'm um, working on tip-a-day calendars. So mm-hmm. I have a new calendar out called the Grammar Daily. So it's a 2018 tip-a-day calendar. And I'm already working on 2019. So I have you know edits on my desk I have to go look at after we're finished here for the 2019 tip-a-day calendar. So I'm that far ahead. And then I am hoping to write another book this year, although I'm still working with my editor to try to brainstorm and figure out what that will be. So, you know, that I haven't even started, so that probably won't be out for a couple of years, but Mm -hmm. those are the, the two things, two big things I'm thinking about right now for the future. Other than that, just, you know, getting out a podcast every week is is enough, (laughs) it's enough. (laughs) It's no small feat. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mignon, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And where can our audience find more about you and your work online? Oh, great. Well, my primary website is at quickanddirtytips.com. That's the network website, and there's a Grammar Girl section there that has all the the articles and in podcasts from Grammar Girl. And then I'm on um, Twitter and Facebook as at Grammar Girl. And I'm on Instagram as The Grammar Girl. And those are probably the primary. I have a company page at LinkedIn. So um, look for the Grammar Girl company page on LinkedIn if that's your favorite network. And I have a YouTube channel, but I don't post super often. You know, I, 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 I tell people, you know, when I was teaching, I would tell people, you know, pick a couple things that you enjoy doing and, mm-hmm. and do those the the best you can. And so really for me, Twitter and Facebook are the primary channels. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure to have all of those links in the show notes, as well as links to your 
calendar because it's super cool <laughs> and everyone should go check <laughs> it out. Um, but again, thank you so much for coming onto the show and just sharing some of your journey with us because I feel like I've learned a ton just talking to you today. Excellent. Thank you. We'll have a great day. You too. Hello, lovely audience. Thank you so much for listening today. As we mentioned in the beginning of the show, we are giving away a Grammar Daily Calendar, courtesy of the Grammar Girl herself. One person who purchased this calendar on Amazon wrote, I just received Grammar Girl's The Grammar Daily 2018 Boxed Calendar. This thing is awesome! Squiggly and Aardvark adorn multiple entries. Yay for Grammaristas! I'll be putting this next to my I'm silently correcting your grammar mug on my desk at work. If you would like to win this calendar for your very own, you need to follow us on Twitter and leave a comment about this particular episode. You can tweet at us at Ninth Story Podcast. That's the number nine, TH Story Podcast. We've also received a wonderful comment from Aaron over on our Facebook page this week. Aaron said, I really enjoyed listening to this. It also makes me want to put something out there. Thanks, Aaron. I think the best thing about this podcast is that we encourage more creativity. If you do put something out there, let us know. We'd really like to read it. Seriously, Aaron. Do it! <laughs> you can find the show notes for today's episode, information about the contest, and all of the ways you can reach us at podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E20. And uh, make sure to stay tuned until after the commercials to hear the terrifying tale from the most recent Horror Haikus Day. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Alexander. And I'm Jeanette. Bye, everyone. Bye. Claimed for her own. Through the howling winds of the frozen night, I can hear her footsteps fall with a hollow clunk, clunk, clunk as she crosses the creaking boards of the ship's deck, each hollow fall of her heels signaling one less beat, beat, beat of my panicked heart. I had thought, I had prayed, I had hoped that this close to the edge of the world, surrounded by the seas of oblivion, I would be far enough to be free of her icy touch. I had thought wrong. I had not prayed hard enough. I had hoped in vain, for her footfalls have landed just outside my door. And I know she has come to claim me at last. This poem was written by me, Jeanette Andromeda, and was published on HorrorMade.com. That's H-O-R-R-O-R-M-A-D-E dot com. For more poetry and to see the artwork that inspired this piece, visit me there. And stay creative, my friends. Bye!